Hey guys, welcome to the Drone Horizon podcast. I'm Alex, and today I'm joined by Eurus Cooper. Eurus, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Eurus. Uh, I'm 31 years old. I'm a pilot, and besides that, I'm a professional photographer nowadays. Um, I started photography, I think, three years ago, so it's not even that long ago. And I actually started it because I started my job at KLM. Um, and I flew all over the world and I decided yeah, I wanted to share this, yeah, the incredible cities that I get to visit on my normal job with yeah, people around me. And on Instagram, it just started to grow. And I think from there it progressed. Um, drones, of course, because I from a plane, I get these views. Uh, but with the drone, it's easier to sort of capture these from lower altitudes. Um, so that's how it all sort of started for me. Cool. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day. As I say, we've obviously you've had a busy schedule, so I'm glad we sort of managed to sort something out. Um, as always, we've asked you to send over sort of three shots. Um, so we'll start off with the boat shot. So do you want to talk us through why you've chosen this one? Yeah, sure. So I actually chose this one because it's, I think many people, when you look at it, yeah, have absolutely no idea what's going on. You're just sort of looking at a, a weird, toxic environment or something, which I don't know, it just... Uh, for me, I realized it's actually in my back garden. So when we go out with the boat, we can actually see this stuff in the summer. Um, and it's a plant and it grows from when the water is kind of shallow and you have sunlight that hits the bottom, you get these plants and they grow. And they, the warmer it is, the more um, apparent they are. But when you look at them from above, I never realized they give these like squirrels. So it gives like a, a liquid kind of feeling towards it. And then this guy, this boat, is actually one of the boats that keeps the channel free of this stuff because it's dangerous for the boats. So he's actually uh, mowing it, I think it's called. So he's mowing all this stuff away. And I don't know, I just, when I took this picture, I felt like, wow, this is kind of special. It's, it's weird. I think never, no one's ever maybe seen it like this. So that's why I selected this one. I really like it. And I don't think many people have seen it actually on Instagram because I, it was a small account when I posted this the first time. So it might be time to do it again, but it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I just, it's special to me because it's the first one where I really thought, okay, this is where a drone actually gives you such a different perspective because from the water, you just don't see anything. You just see plants. That's it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a really cool picture, especially sort of with the colors as well. Um, I mean, you touched on the fact it's a plant, but I did wonder at first whether it was maybe like sort of photoshopped in the colors and that kind of thing because it does look so unusual to sort of see that green water but it obviously gives like a really nice sort of like marbled effect on the water which is obviously it's a great shot yeah i think especially because of the um, what you said because it's so unusual with the, the sort of toxic stuff going through and uh, what you said as well like it, it looks fake i, I can get that uh, but it's actually this green and when you're in it as well you can sort of see the greenish stuff when you sort of if you swim between it um, but it's actually really thick like if you look at it from the water you just see plants coming out of the water actually uh, so that's how thick it is um, and then you see the massive size of it I mean this is a I'm not sure how high the drone is here but I think 100 meters or so but it's it's so thick and big and I don't know it's uh it's really cool and the contrast as well between the dark water and the, and the bright green so and it's actually that green in real life for sure so did you add like a graduated filter in the top right hand side because obviously it's very black up in the top corner um and then obviously yeah I think the light was from the left um and I sort of let me see uh, yeah I think so but no maybe a bit more from the bottom you can see it in the reflection of the of the boat on the on the bottom 
So I think it was sort of from the bottom, but I created this, I think with a radio filter, I guess, from the greenish. So it, it came from the top left and it just moved through the image because of the, the fluidity, or how do you call it? Like the, the stuff that moves towards the boat. It's also in this direction. So that's, I think, where I went for. And back in, the, well, not back in the day, but I think a year or two years ago, my style was really contrasty. So a lot of super darks and super bright stuff. Um, so yeah, I think I did, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll just sort of move on to your second shot then, which is of the flower fields. Now, for me, I think this probably is a good representation of the Netherlands, which is obviously where you're from. So this is, you know, when you sent this over, this sort of screams out the, the sort of typical flower fields that you get out in the Netherlands. So do you want to talk us through this shot? Yeah, sure. I still remember this one. I was actually on a, on a photo shoot with a, with a car for a, for a car company. And um, we were driving through... I think it's like 20 minutes from my home through all these fields. And I saw it in the distance, but it was too far to reach it by car because it's like a private, how do you call it, private land and stuff and you can really reach it. So I thought, oh, I'll just have a look because the field just looks absolutely massive from a distance. Um, so I decided to take the drone out and just fly towards it. I, it was maybe a bit further than you're allowed to go, but <laughs> I still went there because I felt, felt like it was safe because there wasn't anyone around. There were no houses, it was just this big field. Um, and yeah, it's like you see, like all the colors, it's so cool that you have so many different layers in, in one field. And this is actually one shot. I think it's a panel of three shots, but I cropped it. But it's it's one shot. It's not that I took like many fields and, and smashed it together. It's just uh, one massive field. I still remember there was, I think you could still see some of them. My Photoshop skills weren't that good that, in that time. But if you look in the middle somewhere, you still see a power line somewhere on the bottom in the middle. See one tiny line? No, I can't see that. I think you managed. I think you did a good job there. Oh yes, yes, yes. I can see it now. You've pointed it out. Just between the black lines. Exactly. But there was like I think there were four lines going through this image, so that for me was a little bit disappointing, I guess, when I took it because I didn't see it on the screen. I just saw it when I got back. So then you had to sort of adjust it in post production. But in general, I think the, the layers is so good. And it's actually the season is starting. I think next week, maybe two weeks, all the tulips will be there again. I just, for me, I just can't wait. And I also bought this, uh, what is it called? The FPF uh, DJI. It's actually being delivered today. So I'm going to fly through these fields and hopefully I don't cut all the flowers, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I so I went out to Amsterdam in April 2018, I think it was. Um, and we went to Kuchenhof, um, which is obviously very well known for its flower fields and i wanted to fly my drone over the sort of fields there but obviously due to it being sort of such a crowded area i wasn't able to but obviously a shot like this is probably a very true representation of sort of the the general flower fields and the flower you know what then go into the flower markets for for sort of in the netherlands yeah and the weird thing is it's not with all of them but a lot of these tulip fields are actually only for the bulbs or the how do you call them the the, the thing at the bottom so like the flower, they don't even care about. They just wait for them to sort of be grown enough and then they just cut them and they take out like the, the root of the, of the flower and they just ship them. And that's what they do. Um, so weird. But you have so many fields like this. It's crazy. It's uh, actually kind of cool when you look with the drone, when you fly, especially if it's, I think it's North East Netherlands, sort of, if you're in this area, uh, you have like infinite amounts of fields. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. 
yeah definitely i think it i think with the sort of varying colors as well um and the fact that it's not in this shot especially even in sort of the um, you know towards the bottom you can see each individual flower rather than it just sort of being like a block of color um it sort of shows you the it's got like a really nice texture to it as well i think uh, yeah for me as well and i like the bottom part i think is super super sharp which is really cool and then you see like the the first white ones aren't all like uh what do you say it's full grown and then on the right the, the one next to them they're all full grown so it's kind of cool and you see, also see the tracks if you look at the bottom left you can see the tracks of the truck driving through it's kind of cool i don't know yeah. i just like this shot i think it's perfect a perfect shot of the of the netherlands and the fields and i, I just like the structure with the with the lines i'm not sure if you've seen it on my insta but i, I do this a lot like i like the diagonal lines so cool yeah so is that sort of something that you look for sort of when you're taking shots then to sort of obviously to then eventually post to instagram no i i actually look at it beforehand i always look at the i have like a grid but i also have the diagonal lines and i usually take three shots myself so i don't put it on panel work but i just do it myself and i can see if i put the middle one sort of like the diagonal line on one of these lines i just know like it's going to be when i uh, make a panoramic in Lightroom, it will sort of match up with a diagonal in the in the image that I like. So uh, yeah, that's sort of how I look at these photos. I do the same actually when I'm taking photos from the helicopter. I also have the diagonal on my screen from my normal uh, camera, and I do exactly the same. I just sort of move my my camera to be just like a diagonal. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've we've sort of discussed that you're sort of a pilot and that you. Again, you've just sort of mentioned there that you sort of take shots from a helicopter. We'll come back to that a little bit later on because I think we can sort of cover some really good topics with that. But just sort of moving on to your uh, third picture, which I probably have to say is my favourite. Um, do you want to talk us through why you've chosen this one? Uh, yeah, sure. I actually chose this one because I think it's... Um, if you look to the left from this image, so if you move the drone to the left, you have the classic Dolomite image with the massive mountains and everything. And I wanted something else. Um because everybody has that image. So I sort of started looking for a different um, composition uh, and I actually found this one. Looking back, uh, like if, you, if you're in between these, these clouds, between the, the big mountain and the clouds, my hotel was right over there. So I knew like this, this mountain is also really pretty to look at. And I looked for, again, like a diagonal line coming from the bottom left. I think I didn't crop this one exactly, but maybe in the YouTube video, you will. It's, it starts actually when, I think when you look at the Instagram picture, the road actually starts exactly at the bottom, at the right, at the left corner, and sort of comes out and it moves straight through the image. So your eye just follows it. And then when you're looking at this road, it's it keeps making you go right sort of into the valleys, but then it wants to come back again and to the light. And I don't know, it's just uh, such a pretty sight. I, I really love this image and I love the colors as well. I just can't believe how green the Dolomites are. And this is in September. It's just amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah, and you've got some really nice textures on the um, on the grass on the right hand side as well, where the sort of sun and the shadows are hitting it. You've managed to sort of get like a almost like a like a wavy texture on the grass, which I think sort of if it if it was maybe flat the whole way, it could have maybe sort of been too much sort of negative space. But where you've got sort of something going on in every section of the picture, but not too much, it's sort of very nicely distributed. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's especially the right side, sort of your eyes go towards it but it's not too distracting and then you go back to the left i think that's sort of how i look at it and i i feel that the tones because this is i think it's a 10 ish something during the day so it just points out again that you don't need to be like sunrise or 
sunset if you don't have time or you have a different place you can also just do it a bit later and it's still it's fine and i think i used the cp filter for this yeah it must be because it, it gives you a bit more um contrast i think the reflections are a bit more or a bit less sorry so yeah i think it's nice as well obviously you said this was near the dolomites and i think with those kind of places you tend to get very similar shots so it's nice that you sort of looked for a different composition and this sort of almost tells a very different story to the dolomites because you've got such a different variety of things sort of going on in this shot but you know when people say oh you went to the dolomites you can show them this shot and it's not the one that they would expect to see but it's still like a stunning picture and it sort of shows like a different side to it which is really nice yeah that's exactly what i sort of i always take the same image as other people just to see like how would i take it and which angle would i create it with and all that kind of stuff but i also also always try to have a completely different one to see if i can find it and sometimes it's just not there i mean that's why it's such a famous spot and everybody has the same picture because it's just the picture that's the one you know and, and maybe you have a different uh, different weather or different people in front of you and it makes a, a different shot but in the basics usually a famous spot the image that the guy took that made it famous is usually the shot and then the rest is just it's okay but for me on this area you have so much to see and there's so many different places that you can actually um yeah change your perspective and, and give another image yeah yeah definitely so obviously we've talked that you've got obviously the new dji fpv drone coming today um we'll touch on that in a little bit but do you want to just run us through um the kind of kit that you use at the minute um and what you take with you um like both dslr as well as sort of drone stuff yeah, so for the drone, I have the DJI Mavic Pro 2 and the Mini 2. Uh, the Mini 2, I just got, a, I think, two, three months ago. Um, but the Pro 2 is definitely my go-to drone. Uh, it's just so solid. So, And the, the lens is also really good, especially when you do, for example, noise stacking. Uh, it just gives zero noise. But if you do panel shots as well, you have such a high resolution image in the end, which I think is really, uh, really nice. And it just... Uh, I think the reception is extraordinary. I mean, you can, <laughs> it always works. Let's just uh, say that. Um, so that's the one I use. And I've got, I think, two batteries extra. And usually I only use two. And I just uh, keep one spare just when I drive home and I see something else. It would be a shame if you can't, can't use the, the last one. Um, so yeah, that's uh, about the drone. And then I've got the CP filter from PhotoPro. And I've got a few ND filters, but I don't really use it for video, so I don't use those NDs too much, um, but I still have them with me. Um, for the Mini 2, I actually got it due to the new regulations because it's so light that you can nearly use it everywhere with just 30 meters, I think it is. Uh, yeah, which is fantastic. I mean, you can just uh, go anywhere and just fly this drone without a problem as long as it's not a, a no-fly zone. So that makes it really easy and even you, let's say your friend is with you, he can also fly it because you don't need your license for this one. That's why I got it. Uh, with the OcuSync, it's much better with reception at the Mini 1, but it just lost reception like every 10 minutes or 10 seconds, whatever. It's really annoying. So with this one, is really good. And the option of RAW is just a must for me. Uh, and let's talk about the cameras. I've got a Sony Alpha 3, 7.3, sorry, which I use uh, the most, uh, I guess. Uh, also during my flights, because it's, I think, uh, easier to use in general. And then I've got the R4. It's also the A7R4, which is a massive, massive camera for uh, prints, especially because it has such high resolution and you can just keep cropping and it will stay sharp. 
Um, yeah, and then the rest have got a lot of lenses, but that's also because I work with Sony, so I can borrow them infinite. So that's for me so easy. Um, but my favorites at the moment are the 1224 f2.8. That's just a massive lens, especially while flying. You have, get such a, a great shot, and you don't. It's a, it's a lot of times low light situations, and it's really good with low light. Um, I've got the 2405 because it's so, um, how do you call this? Sort of flexible. You can use it in any situation. It's a wide angle, but it's also a tail end, especially the 70 to 105 range is really good. Um, and then the 100, 400. So you've got like 12 up to 400 in three lenses, which for me is uh, flexibility is, is everything and you can just bring it easily. Um, so yeah, that's what I use the most. Cool. So obviously interchanging between the the mini 2 and the pro 2 is it just a case of obviously the the mini 2 being able to use that in places that you can't use the pro 2 uh, i think most of the times yeah or if i go to a place and i don't have that much space available with me like in my backpack or whatever uh, it's just so tiny it's really big. it's uh, you can just drop it in your pants or whatever and uh, take it with you um, and the mini 2 if people don't like drones, like especially when you're in a more dense populated area, and like nowadays with the new regulations, you sort of are allowed to fly unless, or at least you need to have like a certain area where you can take off and do all that kind of stuff. But you're allowed to be like within 30 meters, I guess, from people or uh, buildings and stuff. But a lot of people don't like drones. But then if they call the police or whatever, then you have like a proper story. You're like, I'm not doing anything illegal. But when you're flying with the Mavic Pro 2, it could be legal and then you have like a difficult situation so for me when uh when the image is just an image i want to have but not, i'm pretty sure it's not going to be a print or anything i'm perfectly fine with the mini 2 yeah so with regards to sort of how you got into photography you mentioned that it sort of started out when you got your job with klm um, and that as a result of sort of traveling to all these places all the time you sort of thought you'd make the most of it so how did that sort of lead into the professional work that you do now or was were you already sort of working professionally um and then when you got the job with klm it sort of then became sort of a 50 50 split between the two of them um it, it all came together i think via instagram because at a certain point when you just post your images and you're doing what you what you like uh, and you start to gain followers also people are and tagging and that kind of stuff it's quite quite important i guess um i realized that especially in the in my surroundings because i live near nardifesting which i'm not sure if you've seen it but it's like this fort thing but it's kind of pretty but i posted pictures of this and then you tag like the, the the people that sort of have companies over there and they sort of start finding you because they look at this image and they're like hey this is different than what i've seen before so i'm going to get in contact with this guy and see what he does for a living and or if he wants to do a job or that kind of stuff so it sort of started like this and then eventually klm also found uh, found my images because i flew over schiphol uh, when all the planes were parked on the runway and that kind of stuff and i took images of this or photos of this and they liked them so much uh, that they sort of reached out to me like can we use these and then we started talking and they realized like hey this guy also makes photos during his flights or on destinations and that kind of stuff and we can use these images so from there, it just yeah started to develop a bit more and more. Um, and yeah, with more people contacting you and posting your stuff on Instagram, you get more exposure and people start finding you and just sort of works automatically. I think for that, Instagram is perfect. So with regards to sort of taking, obviously you've mentioned that you use the A7 III for sort of taking shots when you're flying. 
How do you find that? Because obviously traveling at the speed that you do in a plane, I can imagine it's probably quite difficult to capture shots. Now, obviously I've seen a couple of the ones on your Instagram um, and they tend to be sort of more like long exposures and that kind of thing. So is that sort of mainly what you do when you're flying or is it a case of just sort of whatever the conditions will sort of bring? It's it's whatever the conditions will bring. Uh, I, I like the long exposures because it gives you I think a sci-fi sort of Star Wars feeling like you're, oh, you're out of space and you see the earth just passing underneath you. Um, but they're quite difficult because you need to have stable conditions. Um, and you don't always have these because the, the plane moves not only like this, but also like this or up and down and it, it turns. It's like every direction you can imagine by your hand holding, you're sort of steady and at least your feet are on the ground and you're so holding, holding it, but the plane just keeps going everywhere and tiny bumps and vibration and everything. Um, but I like the long exposures, I think the most, uh, but they took me a long time to sort of perfect. And I think I'm still not there. I, I have some plans to make them even better. Um, but yeah, I find it, I think with practice, it's, it's okay to do. And you have a few sort of ground rules that you also have on, on the ground, I guess, uh, that your exposures or your, uh, yeah, your long exposure shouldn't be too long for the lens you're using because then the stars will move and all that kind of stuff. And it's nearly the same actually in the sky, it's, except that you need to sort of realize like how long do you want the streaks to be, like from the city lights and stuff. Um, so yeah, you sort of balance between these and you just trial and error. You just keep trying. If it doesn't work, you try a different uh, strategy. Yeah. And obviously, I guess sort of taking shots from an airplane, I guess that is almost the, the next stage up from flying a drone for those who, that sort of want to get that little bit higher and and obviously you're t sort of taking that to the extreme and flying at the, the heights that you do to be able to get the shots. Um, but sort of with regards to sort of the, the whole drone situation, I mean, over here a couple of years back, obviously we had the Heathrow incident um, where there was a drone obviously spotted near Heathrow and that kind of thing. Have you found that you've had any issues with sort of drones flying near airports and sort of what could that mean if there was a drone in the way of an aircraft and that kind of thing, sort of what, what could happen? Yeah, I... I've had reports, like when we're flying towards uh, an, uh, an, uh, an airport, sorry, uh, we have NOTAMs, which is a notices to airmen. So that's us, basically. Uh, and it just states like, okay, we have uh, drone sightings or drone spottings for the last uh, month or whatever. And, uh, be vigilant and report if you see any. We have to sort of start to search for them. Um, but what you need to realize is like we are so much faster than a drone and we're not very... Um, we're not able to move that fast. So we have inertia. So we just go one direction and that's it. So if you're here with your tiny drone and we're coming this way, no way that we can sort of see you. That's the first thing or that we can um, go around you. And what you need to realize is that these drones, they have metal parts and all that kind of stuff. I think if it just hits the airframe, you maybe have a bit of damage and that's it. But if it goes through the engine, it can sort of give serious trouble. And maybe, I'm not sure. I've never seen a drone fly through an engine, but I think it can probably destroy it. Maybe it will be fine, but I think it can give serious, serious damage. I mean, if you realize like, that a big bird can destroy an engine completely, I think a big drone will definitely do the same <laughs> or it will go straight through our windscreen. So it's, uh, yeah, in that case, it's, I think it's quite dangerous, um, but more so even for the smaller airplanes because the smaller the airplane and sort of even if it's, if it's a small drone, if it hits it, it will damage it quite heavily. Um, and also with drones, you often people fly a bit too far, so they don't really 
see the airplanes and you can't hear them. Uh, so it's just floating somewhere and then this plane just flies straight through it because it doesn't see the drone. Um, so that's, I think, the, the biggest worry with flying a drone too high because that's, I think, often what goes wrong. I think the distance isn't even that big of an issue. It's more like the, the height. If you go above these 120 meters, I'm not sure it's 400 feet, I guess. Um, uh, so yeah, if you go above these 120 meters, there could be planes. That's something that I think not a lot of people realize. Yeah, and that's something that I've sort of learned a little bit more about recently. Obviously, with the the UK, our regulations have changed uh, recently, and I believe they sort of now fall in line with uh, the rest of Europe, I guess. And obviously, you've got the sort of open categories, the specific categories, and that kind of thing. Um, but I mean, I've been doing the A2 sort of certificate of competency, um, and a lot of that is based around sort of air law. And obviously you mentioned about no times, which is something that we have to learn about as well. So I think there's almost becoming, uh, like, a, an overlap between what knowledge you're expected to know as, as sort of commercial pilots, as well as sort of drone pilots. Cause I guess at the end of the day, we're all flying in the same airspace. Yeah. Um, I think that the new regulations are a really good thing, um, it gives you more freedom, I think, as a drone pilot as well, because you know what you're doing um, and you can fly closer to, uh, I think, cities and this kind of stuff, which is really cool because it's a, such a cool subject. Um, but it also gives you an insight in well, a little bit of an insight into aviation. So, you know, like, OK, these guys are flying at this altitude or they're doing this or uh, I'm allowed to do this and blah, blah, blah. I think that's really good because. Uh, let's say a year ago, you could just buy a drone and do whatever you want. You had no idea about any rules at all. And now you have these uh, limitations telling you, okay, you need to read this before you can fly it, um, which I think is a good thing. And I actually did the, um, the training myself as well, because I wanted to know like, what is it that you guys are being taught? Because in theory, I could just say I have my uh, ATPL, so my flying license and I can say I want my drone license and they would just probably give it to me because I have way more uh, knowledge about this um, than required um, but I decided not to do this and do the course myself as well just to make sure that I knew like exactly like oh this is what you're reading this is what you need to know um, and it gave me I think a bit more insight as well yeah and it sort of covers a good range of topics as well um, and sort of all things that you know, maybe when you're sort of doing the course initially, you think, oh, I don't need to know this. But at the end of the day, these new regulations are there to keep people safe. Um, and they sort of base each category and flight based on the risks that you'll be taking. So in the end of the day, it's going to keep everybody safer and it's going to mean that we can keep flying drones for longer. Although it may seem sort of inconvenient to start with, it's it's there for sort of to prevent us, you know, from hurting each other, I guess. Yeah, it gives the... Um... I'm not sure how to say this in English, actually. Uh, but the, I think the bar, it's called the bar. I think the bar to start is a bit higher. So you need to sort of have a license. So it will take you, uh, like the decision to buy a drone is maybe a bit different now than it used to be. Because probably when you buy it, you sort of see on the website or uh, the guy in the store, he will tell you like, oh, you need a license for this. And then people will be maybe a bit scared off because they'll be, well, I don't want to get a license for this. And then maybe they just buy the tiny drone, which is fine because it does a lot less damage. It can still be dangerous, but if it falls on your head or whatever, it's still, you know, it's it's a lot less than the, a bigger drone. Um, and I think I bought it as well, so I'm not going to complain about it, but the, the DJI FPF is seriously dangerous. It's, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, I'm going to do the simulator and try and just learn it properly. 
but I guess a lot of people can just buy it and just go 140 kilometers per hour and just fly straight into a building or whatever. I mean, it's that thing is when you put it in in just uh, call it crazy mode. It's ridiculous. I think it's <laughs> it's really cool. I mean, you can get super cool shots, but I think it's also like a death machine. So I'm really curious to see how the regulations will change with this new consumer uh, flying death machine. Let's just call it like that. In three months or so, I think the regulations will change that you're not allowed to fly this unless you have special training or something. Yeah, and I think that's... I think DJI have done an incredible thing by making an FPV drone that is sort of ready to go out the box. But I do think it will split opinions because having a drone that is that capable and FPV drones are not easy to control. They are very different to sort of your traditional sort of Mavics and Phantoms and Inspires. You know, you've not got the GPS. You've always got to keep throttle. Like it's it's a very different flying experience. And I think that for people who have the money and have never you know are just picking it up because they want a drone they'll pick it up and they'll just expect to be able to fly it straight away like you can do with the mavics but i think doing the simulator is definitely important because you know if if the first time you fly that drone and you fly it straight into a tree because you haven't practiced the controls then you know first of all that's a lot of money out of the window but you know, if that tree was a person and you've flown that into a person, then obviously that can cause some serious damage. I mean, obviously we've talked about sort of the the European categories in with A1, A2 and A3. I mean, they're based on the speeds that the drone will go. So I, I do agree with you. I think the regulations will start to change as this drone sort of becomes more popular and, and people start un, inevitably having accidents with it. Um, but I think it is a good drone, but I think having something that is accessible to everybody that people can just pick up and fly straight out of the box, I think there's both pros and cons to it because I think, you know, although it will make FPV a lot more accessible to a lot of people, um, and it will definitely make DJI's bank account even bigger, but I think that it could have some negative impacts um, for the rest of us, and I think people could start associating sort of FPV stuff with accidents. So as long as people sort of fly sensibly, I think it should be okay. But I agree. I think the regulations will start to change, especially when you think that to fly in sort of the the open category, you have to be able to keep visual line of sight with the drone, which if you're wearing the goggles, you then need a spotter. So if you've not got a spotter with you and you crash the drone into someone else's property and your insurance company then refused to cover you because you weren't flying legally there then becomes all of these sort of questions about it. And I think there's sort of a bit of a gray area when it comes to flying FPV at the minute. And hopefully that will sort of get ironed out and, and stuff sort of a little bit soon. I, yeah, I completely agree. I think as long as you use your common sense, it should be okay. Uh, but the problem is there's also with normal drones, there's also people that just do crazy stuff. They just fly on the busiest day ever. They just fly low over people and crowds and all that kind of stuff. So with this one, you just know there's also going to be a certain someone that's going to do this and ruin it for everyone else. Um, so yeah, I'm just really curious to see. But I actually, I'm receiving it, I think, in an hour. So I'm really curious to see how it looks and how it feels. And I've actually had a, before the drone laws were even um, created in the Netherlands, I, I took part in a pilot to... Um, to see how these regulations would work and what you need to do for it. So I also did a practical exam and this was with a, uh, a simulator as well. And it was a lot more like an FPF uh, drone basically um, because it couldn't, yeah, it just couldn't hover and anything and you need to fly like um, 
circuits and stuff. So I think it's sort of similar to this. Um, but then the good thing I think DJI did is that when you put it in the normal or in the, the starter mode, I guess it's called, it flies the same as a Mavic. So that's, I think, a good thing that you can start easy and then you can make it yourself a bit more um, difficult. Uh, so we'll see. And it has an emergency speed brake thing, which I think is the best option ever. It's shit. I'm screwing it up. Oof. Stop. Yeah. And I've seen some videos on YouTube. Um, I mean, I've not picked one up myself yet, um, but I've seen some videos online of people sort of testing them out. And I think the emergency stop is what sets it apart from sort of the, the traditional sort of DIY uh, FPV drones, you know, the, the, the sort of build ones. Um, because you can even be upside, the drone can be upside down with full throttle on accelerating down. And if you press the stop button, it will spin itself over and it will stop instantly. And I think that for people that maybe get themselves in a little bit too deep and, you know, maybe go sort of a little bit out of their comfort zone and, and sort of start to lose control of it, having that stop button is definitely a good idea. But obviously then it's sort of knowing it's a difficult one because you've got to know your limitations but also obviously people want to learn but i think the simulator is a great way to sort of get um sort of involved in the you know in, in flying and get used to the controls because you don't want to just go out and start flying this thing overboard to near people um and you know because it could end badly yeah i agree so yeah so the the dji fpv drone is 800 grams or thereabouts so that makes it about the same weight as a Mavic. So without an A2 CFC license, you would have to fly it at least 150 meters away from any property and 50 meters away from people. And you're not allowed to fly over people. So that makes it quite difficult in terms of where you can and can't fly it. Um, and obviously I know the A2 CFC sort of brings those limitations down, but I think the, the sort of A2 license, I guess, is more focused towards the tripod drones and less towards what is essentially similar to an like a like a general plane because you've sort of always got to keep it moving forwards and it's not just a case of being able to just pull the throttle back and and it will just sort of come to a stop you know if you pull the throttle back it will fall so i think it's a very different type of beast i guess we'll see i'm curious <laughs> yeah you'll have to let us know how you get on um and you know i'm sure we'll be seeing some footage on your instagram soon yeah for sure it will be uh, i think uh, the tulip fields will be uh, the first ones because over here i can go towards the the uh, the fields and there's absolutely nothing around like zero so i can sort of i'm gonna do the simulator first and then i'm gonna have a look see uh, how it looks over there Cool. Well, just sort of finishing up then, is there any tips that you could offer for people that are maybe just looking at picking up a drone or just thinking about starting with drones? Is there anything that both as a sort of pilot and a photographer, is there anything that you could offer to sort of people that are just sort of looking out? Um, I think the most important thing is if you buy a drone or if you want to buy a drone, first think of what you want to do with it because it decides or it's very important to um, to realize which model you're going to get because I think a lot of people buy a drone that they absolutely don't need i mean a mavic 2 or let's say a mini 2 for most people would probably be fine um and then they start buying like the biggest drone or the fastest drone or whatever so i think your goal is very important or where you want to go with it eventually and besides that just use it a lot just practice go out use it in a situation somewhere where you where you feel safe because i i hear a lot of people around me like oh i'm a bit scared of my drone and all that kind of stuff and i think that's 
sort of a problem because then you because if you're scared of your drone, you're not really competent, I guess, because you don't know how it works. Right? That's basically where what it comes down to, where you don't trust it. And I think you need to have full trust in your uh, drone, basically, to use it. Um, I even sometimes have too much trust in it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just make sure that you know what you're doing with your drone and what it can do and what it can't do, especially can't do. Uh, yeah, and I think that's uh, the most important thing for me. Yeah, and I think obviously you mentioned about it earlier. It's just common sense and being sensible, um, and just realizing that you know sometimes if you want to take that shot, you've just got to consider your surroundings because if you don't, then it could end badly, and no one wants to be in that kind of situation. Yeah, and I think also the uh, an important thing is if you do something highly illegal, you probably ruin it for the rest of us. So just realize like, oh, I'm doing this, but it's illegal. So either make sure that you you know it's safe and nobody can see it or whatever and you can maybe you can still do it but just don't do like what you said and un, use your common sense and don't fly over amsterdam with your drone and take photos because it will just mess it will just make people angry and make it more difficult for everyone else definitely cool well thank you very much for taking time out of your day um do you want to just remind everybody how they can find your instagram and if you've got a website or anything like that yeah, you can follow me. I don't have a website, actually, but you can follow me on Instagram and it's at Joro Cooper. And I think uh, it's J-O-R-R-O and then Cooper, like Cooper. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, as I say, thank you very much um, for taking time out. It's been really great chatting. And obviously, I think we've covered some sort of really good topics, which are sort of unique to yourself. Um, so, yeah, I hope everything sort of works out for you in the future. Um, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, if you want to know more just uh, send me a message or whatever and uh, it will be fine